Hey friend, this podcast is brought to you by The Family Thrive, an expert-led, science-backed online community for busy parents looking to thrive. Join us at thefamilythrive.com. I mean, it all makes sense now, but you're right that when you're in it, a lot of times, even if you know what the potential warning signs are, you're in such a fog that you can't even necessarily make sense of your experience. And sometimes it takes your partner or a friend or a parent to point out like, you're not, something's not working right now. Like this is beyond sleep deprivation. This is beyond the life change. And so one of the things that I like to say is that motherhood should be life changing, but it should not be earth shattering. And if you feel like it has turned your world upside down in a negative way, then it's time to, to get some help. Christina Furnival is a mom of two, a licensed mental health therapist, and a children's book author who blogs under the handle Real Life Mama. She and her beautiful family live in San Diego, California, and despite the beautiful weather of her hometown, parenthood hasn't been all sunshine and roses. We invited her on the show this week to talk about the real stuff, what happens when motherhood isn't the cakewalk we dream it to be, how Christina realized she was experiencing postpartum mood disorder after her first baby was born, what tools have helped her most in flourishing, and how we can help our kids set healthy boundaries with their friends. At the end, we talk about Christina's newest work around anxiety, positive self-talk, and growth mindset, so you'll want to stick around for the entire episode. So without further ado, here is the truly wonderful Christina Furnival. I'm super excited that we were put in touch with you. I think we got um, in outreach through our managing editor. And as soon as we saw your work, we we're like, oh, she's perfect. We got to talk to her. And then this book is absolutely incredible. The not so friendly friend. I have to tell you, like, I was, or I was just telling Justin that this could have been like a 400 page book for adults. <laughs> About bound, you know, yeah, that, setting boundaries. Like I love reading yeah. that you easily condensed into a children's book and made it so simple. And I feel like making the conversation around boundaries sim- simple and accessible in this way is good for everyone. Yeah. Our daughter's going through this right now, being a new kid in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And thanks to our work with the Family Thrive, I feel like we've been able to help her more than we would have been able to before. Um, but you're right. This isn't automatic. You know, this is not an automatic conversation that we have. So we'll get into it more. But I just wanted to say congratulations and thank you. It is such a beautiful book. I well, want we're going to be able to talk about the book. To bring it to we our are, school. We are, are going to talk about yeah. the book. But before okay, we okay. do, let's <laughs> talk about Christina. Well, can we, we tell her f- our roles on the podcast really quick? Oh, okay. So sure. Justin um, writes the questions and like keeps like the guardrails and keeps us moving, and I usually mess it up. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay go ahead. Okay, yeah. So I, yeah, I kind of drive, uh, or I, I guess into the radio business. There, on radio shows, there's a driver and there's a personality. Like that's <laughs> that's how they do radio shows and the driver is like the professional radio host who keeps it on schedule and the personality just kind of you know brings all the color and the life and so we've kind of fallen into these roles in, in, <laughs> in the podcast. i love it 
Uh, but yeah, let's learn a little bit about Christina. So we want to know uh, uh, where where you came from, right? So where did you grow up and how did you, uh, what pathway led you into becoming an author, a mother, and a therapist? Well, I am a born and raised San Diegan. And um, so I grew up here, but I actually did college and graduate school in Nashville, Tennessee, and oh, you know so, the South. So yeah, you I do. Know the South. I know. And I've visited Savannah before. So I, I, it has a special place in my heart. I do think I left a part of me in the South when I came back to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, but so born and raised out here. I am married to my husband, Tom. We just celebrated eight years of marriage. And oh, he's from oh, Scotland. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, Tom. From, Scotland? from Scotland? How cool. Tom from Where Scotland. Where in Scotland? He's from a small town near Aberdeen called Bankery. Oh, how cool. And where did you guys meet? We actually met in Nashville. So, you know, San Diego girl from Southwest U.S. And he's from the Northeast of Scotland. And we met in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Um, A a classic story. Right? Love it. Love college. Oh, what led you to Vanderbilt? Why? Well, so back when I was in high school and planning out like what career I thought I wanted to have, I always wanted to be a pediatrician. And so when I toured universities and I visited Vanderbilt, I saw their children's hospital on campus. And it's such a happy place. It's Mm -hmm. not as sterile and cold as a lot of hospitals. And I thought, wow, if I'm going to be a pediatrician, I'm going to be one here. And so I want to go to school here. Um, Plus, I fell in love with Southern hospitality during my visit for those few days before I decided to accept um, going to school there. And uh, so that was what brought me to Vanderbilt. But it was at Vanderbilt that I realized that I was not as interested in medicine as a helping profession as I thought. So after graduating from Vanderbilt, I took about a year or so before deciding to enroll in graduate program for professional counseling. So I always wanted to help some help people and help children, but I thought it was through medicine. And then ultimately, it's been through psychology and therapy. So that's kind of how my path ended up towards therapy. My mom's also actually a licensed mental health therapist and a school counselor. Um, so I think when I was choosing medicine initially, I had boxed up her career as for her. Um, and then it was after realizing I'm actually quite similar to my mom and I love and adore what she does and how she helps families and children that I knew that that was for me too. Oh, what a beautiful process. Like it's almost of like a differentiation and then incorporation kind of, you know, and like, and, and I wonder hearing that, uh, you know, I wonder if, if your mother in growing up with a, a therapist, did she also teach you a lot that kind of like opened your, your eyes into the world of what could be when it comes to being somebody with those skills? Yeah, I think she did a really good job because I never felt like she was doing therapy on me. Yeah. Um, she, she drew a good line where she was just a lovely and is a lovely nurturing mom. Um, she did teach us about feelings and emotions and how to process them and reflect oh, on them. Um, so I feel like I did have some skills from a younger age than a lot of my peers might have. Oh, it's invaluable. I feel like we all need that. And as parents, we need these skills. Like it's mm-hmm. not something that is just for therapists, right? It's like as as parents, this is these are some of the most essential skills that we need, I think, from from the beginning. So that that is pretty powerful that you have experienced that in your own life. And then it sounds like you brought it into your work and your parenting. Yeah, yeah. So I always ever since I started in the field in 2009, I've always worked with youth and adolescents and their families. And I love helping kiddos because kiddos are just so interesting and they're open to change because every day is change and every day Mm -hmm. is new discoveries and helping their families and them figure out 
how to help their kiddos live the life that they want, how to understand themselves better and navigate challenges confidently is what I'm all about. Okay, I have a curiosity. I imagine that in the years that have passed from when your mom went to school and first started practicing, and you went to school, uh, and you started practicing that a lot has changed in the field. And so have, have you had discussions with your mom? Have you said, Mom, you know, the the way you thought about x, y, and z, now that's changed. It's now a, b, and c. I think in general, or at least the way that my mom engages with with families and youth, I feel like that's still aligned with the ways that I practice therapy. There are definitely new modalities and approaches, um, lots of acronyms that she's never heard of before, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> different ways to handle things. But um, we're both really big into CBT. And so just that awareness between our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors, and how it's all interconnected. So did you always know that you wanted to be a mom? Yes. Yeah. So how did the actual, so you knew that you wanted to be a mom and you were a therapist before you were a mom, right? And so how did motherhood change this for you? I thought I was going to have motherhood in the bag. I was (laughs) certainly uh, very confident that I would just be this amazing natural mother. Not only had I always worked with youth in the mental health field, but before I ever was an adult, I would babysit it. I've got 21 aunts and uncles and probably 30 Mm. plus cousins. And so, and I'm on the older end of them. So I would babysit and watch them all. I was a children's entertainer at like summer camps. And I thought, I know kids inside and out. And wow, I was just completely (laughs) blindsided by motherhood. Um, I think part of it had a lot to do with, I went through postpartum depression and anxiety Mm. after having my daughter, my first child. And um, I was not expecting, I didn't think I had any of the warning signs, but now in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, oh, I was having intrusive thoughts. Oh, I was really um, depressed or apathetic about this or that, that used to bring me joy, you know? So now I can kind of put those pieces together. Mm -hmm. But when I was in the fog of it, I was just completely surprised that that was my experience. And um, I also had high risk pregnancies, which is, that's a potential kind of warning sign and um, after giving birth to my daughter, a week later, I had a delayed postpartum hemorrhage where I had to be rushed to the hospital. <gasps> and oh. so that was traumatic, and I hadn't really processed that. And then that led to my milk supply not coming in how it should. And so it led to yes, feeding problems and yes. sleeping problems, and it all just all of it. piled on top of each other. Mm. Oh, it's so big. I mean, I'm just taking all of that in that really... It's it's so powerful. It's all of the things that when you say blindsided, all of the things that we don't expect. And and I and I think like reflecting on what you're saying, like how many of us do know that we're in postpartum depression? Like how many of us do see the warning signs? I feel like awareness is growing because of sharing like this. Um, mm-hmm. And we did uh, speak um, earlier on this podcast with a with Bridget, really really wonderful. Uh, a perinatal therapist who specializes in just this because she was called to it, you know, for very similar reasons. Um, But, and so I think I see awareness raising a little bit, but you know, when my son was born 14 years ago, there was no talk around it. And in fact, there would be even a little stigma. It would be like, well, she, you know, kind of learned she has postpartum, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and um, I almost feel like not only a stigma, but like a, problematizing like like this is an issue for her right right instead of this is a huge issue that has everything to do with our healthcare system 
that has everything to do with, you know, modern motherhood that has everything to do with expectations and on and on and on. Like, it's just such a, like Bridget described it as an onion. And it's like, you peel back every layer and you see more and more complexity of that. So it makes sense. And then add the trauma on top of it of a hemorrhage or the trauma of high risk pregnancies. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it all makes sense now, but you're Mm -hmm. right that when you're in it, a lot of times, even if you know what the potential warning signs are, you're in such a fog that you can't even necessarily make sense of your experience. And sometimes it takes your partner or a friend or a parent to point out like, you're not, something's not working right now. Like this is beyond sleep deprivation. This is beyond the life change. And so one of the things that I like to say, because now I do work with adults and I tend to work with moms. I do telehealth therapy in the evening now, um, is that motherhood should be life-changing, but it should not be earth shattering. And if you feel like it has turned your world upside down in a negative way, then it's time to, to get some help. So that's a powerful way to put that. I think we should put a pin in that. Like, I think that's a really Mm -hmm. wonderful quote to pull out of this because even as a therapist yourself, it sounds like it took some time and a view and a realization. And then you're really able to see in, in like in a retrospective manner what you were going through. But if it's even hard for a therapist to identify this, you know, then we should normalize that. Like it's hard to identify these things, yeah. you know, and just having that sort of putting that quote out into the world. If we can do that when we promote this podcast, I think it would be meaningful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, brings up the curiosity that I had when I first read about your story on your website. Uh, what? So I, I, it makes total sense to me that this would be something that you could look back on in retrospect and say, oh yeah, there were the signs. Um, but what was the, what, what was the sign for you at the time that, oh, this isn't just a couple bad days. This isn't just waking up on the wrong side of the bed. What was the aha moment for you? Well, so I knew to expect that there might be baby blues in the first two weeks. And then I knew to expect that my hormones would start to regulate around six weeks once my ovaries took back over. Because when you're pregnant, your placenta is in charge of a lot of your hormone production. And so when you give birth, the placenta is leaves you and then your hormones are wild for a bit and so I was sitting there thinking wow this is not going how I thought it would this is not the like blissful bigger than life love that I was expecting that you hear about um but at two weeks I'm sure I'll feel better and so I I kind of just rode that wave and then two weeks came and two weeks went and so I was like okay six weeks when my hormones regulate then I'll be able to make sense of what I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. and I'll be fine Six weeks came and went. And with um, my husband and I trying to figure out our child and learn her cues and how how to just do this whole parenting thing, we had an argument one evening and I, I said, this is a nightmare. And he, being the protective, loyal father that he had now become, was like, I can't believe you just said that. And I'm like, well, that, that's actually how I feel. I feel like this is a nightmare. I'm living a bad dream. And that, that was a, a turning point for us to be like, that shouldn't be my experience. This shouldn't be how this feels. It's hard, but it shouldn't be a nightmare. And so then I was employing more self-care. We got um, my mom to come around during the day to hold our daughter so that I could take naps. Um, She was one of those kiddos that had to be held at all times. So I wasn't getting the rest that I needed to get. Yes, our Um, son was the same way. Was Max the same way? Oh, same way. (laughs) It's so hard when you can't just put them down and you see your friends sharing on social media about their baby and their bassinet and like, oh, how they're such good sleepers. And then you have jealousy on top of resentment on top of all the other feelings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. right? <laughs> yes. But, um, I ultimately decided to see my own therapist because I knew that I couldn't see my own blind spots and that I needed support mm. outside of myself. It's powerful. So it sounds like accepting, seeking and accepting support from those around you to pursue self-care and then, and then also getting, getting some help, getting, you know, your own therapist mm-hmm. is key to that. Um, I think it's really amazing that you saw, I think that is one thing that, that moms carry, see that they're supposed to, there's like this, the, the shooting on ourselves, like we're supposed to be able to do this alone. Right. We're supposed to be able to do it ourselves. And then um, the other thing that you said that really was impactful to me um, when you talked about the nightmare is that the response wasn't to diminish or deny your feelings that you were in a nightmare. It sounds like that was recognized. And the response was, and we don't want it to be a nightmare. Right. Like, you know, yes, you're feeling that way. Instead of saying, no, it's not. <laughs> you right. know, you're a mother of a brand new kid, beautiful healthy, baby. You yeah, know, no, it's not. Baby. You know, like acknowledge that it is your nightmare right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't want it to be that way. Exactly. It doesn't have to be that way. So what yeah. surprised you most about that experience? I mean, you had mental health training. You are a counselor, right? So, um, but it's one thing being uh, on the therapist's end, and now you're in it. What surprised you the most? I think one of the things that surprised me was how much my own emotions became entangled in my own experience. When I see families in the therapy office, I have a much more objective view. I'm not enmeshed in it. And being in it and knowing that I needed to care for this child and And I knew enough to know that, okay, I'm not feeling connected to her. I'm not feeling this overflowing love that I thought I would be, you know, upon giving birth. But I know that she needs from me the nurturing, the cuddling, the snuggling, the sing-song voice. So I I employed all of that, even though I felt vacant behind it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that enmeshment of my own awareness and my own emotions in my process of being a mom— um, that was really hard to kind of navigate and figure out. And I think I was lucky because I have the mental health experience and knowledge to know what to do. I went through the motions, even though I didn't feel it. Mm, wow. It's really powerful. How old are, are your kids now? So my daughter, Isla, is five, and she just started kindergarten. And oh, I our love son, that, the name Isla. Thank you. And kindergarten, then our, big deal. Kinder, yes. And she's rocking it. And she's in a Spanish immersion program. So she's oh, coming cool. home with Wonderful. new words every day, yes, which is so yes. fun. Um, and then our son, Sterling, is three. And so he's actually watching TV right now and hopefully is quiet while we're talking. Awesome. Well, if he pops <laughs> in, we'll love to say hi. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love the name Sterling, too. We have a family friend, uh, you know, back in the day. It's a classic very classic names. Thank so you I just much. have a few more questions just because I, you know, for new moms who might be listening to this, what helped you most during that time? So once you started to get, get mm-hmm. help and you started to uh, get some tools, uh, what did you find most helpful? I think what's really, really helpful and really, really important. Um, and like you were saying, Audra is this expectation of what we're supposed to be like or do or manage is to let that go mm-hmm. and realize, especially yeah. if, you, if you've had a baby during this last year and a half, like things are not normal right now. We all have a level of stress that is way higher yeah. than it would typically be. And then outside of the pandemic, 
the idea of the village doesn't exist in the way that it did for our moms and for their moms and so Great on. Great point. So the mom martyrhood that we mm. do, we need to stop that. And so mm. really communicating with my husband to let him know, I need to sleep right now, or I haven't showered and I need to, I need to do this or I need to do that. Um, we also had to figure out the balance of housework. We had always been a very 50-50 couple, uh, but then kind of naturally with me staying home with our daughter, there became this imbalance where all of a sudden I was cleaning the house more or doing the dishes more or the laundry more. And I had to speak up and say, you know what, that's not, that's not how we work. And this isn't working for me. I can't do all of this. And so setting those boundaries, having clear communication, asking for help. I'm not good at asking for help. A lot of moms I know aren't. Especially, I feel like our generation, no, not you either. (laughs) Especially our generation, I feel like a lot of us are having kids after we've established careers. And so we have established patterns of if I work hard enough, I can achieve X, Y, or Z. And with parenting, it's just not that one-to-one. And I think we need to let down that I can handle it all, I can do it all attitude and really create your own village in that way with your partner, with your family, with friends. We have a lot of friends, actually um, UK expats that live here and their family's not here. So they Mm. are a family and they will watch someone else's child. So that couple can go on a date or what have you. Um, Just so creating your own village as you can, I think is really, really helpful. That is so great. This is really wonderful advice. And it strikes me that it um, goes actually for, um, folks who are going to become parents, one of the things that I'm thinking of is preparation. And Mm -hmm. some of those expectations that we develop, we develop those expectations, you know, in advance, uh, you know, through the pregnancy. I remember thinking that my first child was going to come out and be like a a six to nine month old. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I'll be on maternity leave walking around with him on my hip. Right, right. (laughs) Like, like had no clue. I mean, really like no understanding. But I think some of those things you can't prepare for. It's like you, you know, there's so much of parenting, like the moment you have that uh, other life outside of you and you're like, whoa, I have to care for this, this human now, this is incredible. Or I get to care for this human, but some things we can do to prepare. And it seems like we totally can, um, come up with a plan to communicate in advance, not just about our birth planning, but what about our right. partnership planning in that, you know, these seems to be like really wonderful advanced conversations to talk about the division of labor and be able to say, you know, I've heard that I'm going to need a ton of sleep, you know, are you willing to get up however many times and change diapers, you know, and do that before you are super tired, or in the hospital longer than you thought you'd be. Absolutely. I think that's so powerful. And I think along with the awareness of postpartum depression, anxiety, and perinatal mood disorders is that awareness of we're we're not just planning for your pregnancy and we're not just planning for the 24 hours that you're giving birth, but we're planning for the next at least three months that those 100 days where you're in that fourth trimester and you're learning your child and they're learning what it's like to be alive. Um, And having those conversations is so important because we... My husband and I, I guess we assumed we would fall naturally into a pattern, but the pattern mm-hmm. we fell into wasn't one that worked for either of us. So we had to communicate. And so, yeah, in anticipation, having better planning for postpartum, I think, is definitely important. Because, I mean, really kind of like going into a partnership, even um, whether it's, you know, a marriage or long term committed partnership or whatever way we might be putting that together as a family to then be able to to uh, commit to parenting or co-parenting, I feel like we make a lot of assumptions anyway. 
Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. We did. I mean, right? Like, one of the things that we've learned at now 20 years. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> over 20 years of being together, but, yeah. you know, being married for 20 years, like, I look back, and now we've learned a lot more skills, especially in the more recent, you know, past few years. But before that, like, the the assumptions we would oh. make, like, oh, it's... I mean, I think the most powerful so skills we have learned <laughs> over the past, well, I mean, a lot over the past year or two, but the most impactful ones have been around communication and about communicating around these assumptions. Uh, I like, I think about, yeah, you're absolutely right. How many assumptions I held. And then the stories that are based on the assumptions and on and on. And then the resentments that are based on the stories that are based on the assssumptions, right? Be like, Oh, can't believe he's just coming home and not like not even doing the dishes, you know, Mm -hmm. it'd be like, it never once communicated anything about it. And holding these expectations when you haven't had a conversation, is pretty unreasonable and you don't have to ever carry resentment if we communicate in advance. So I guess that's the one thing I would think would be really powerful planning to do if one is to bring a child into the home is to really just start with some advanced planning and communications and thinking around those assumptions or e- even like communicating around how we want to communicate once the baby comes like, we have no idea what's going to happen. So like, let's have a meeting, <laughs> like, right. let's plan, <laughs> write a list of things we think we're going to talk about and like, just like hold the space for it at least. I think so. Oh yeah. And this is one thing that came up in our podcast with Bridget Cross, the perinatal therapist. She sees a lot of moms when they get into trouble after the baby is born and they're going through some of the issues that you mentioned and many others. And she says she she wishes so much that she would have been able to see them before the mm. baby, because mm. then we get to talk about the expectations, we get to talk about the assumptions, we get to air them out, and then we you know we get the lines of communication flowing before you go to battle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and then another expectation that we have that I don't think we talk about is what our baby, like you said, you expected a six to nine month old. <laughs> I I don't think I fully understood what a newborn would be like exactly, yes. but I also. Mm. My mom's experience, I'm one of three, was that we were good sleepers, good eaters. It was this lovely time. And so I just expected that a creature of of my making would be the same. (laughs) Would be just as awesome as you are. (laughs) (laughs) And so when she didn't take to nursing well, when my milk didn't come in, when sleeping wasn't happening, when she needed to be held all the time and was quite fussy, I'm like, what? This is not what I ordered. Like, you know, this is not what I planned for. So I do think having those conversations ahead of time about expectations or broadening your expectations your baby might be a good sleeper your baby might not be a good sleeper and if that's the case what's your plan how are you broadening as a team Mm -hmm. i love that concept because thinking about those who i i've needed i had medically necessary c-sections but i had friends who planned home births that needed a c-section and Uh, suffered tremendous a sense of loss and devastation from that and from the expectations around what that birth would be, for example. Or you fully plan on being a breastfeeding mom for two years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we talked about this in that last podcast too, like the, when there is difficulty feeding, it's, it's a primal challenge as a mother, isn't it? It, it is mm-hmm. so hard. And then when there's narratives around formula and you feel like a failure, you know, kind of like opening that space and broadening one's expectation. Like what if it's not possible then let's plan for this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's powerful because then you can pivot easier. Yeah.
you mentioned in uh, the discussions that you and your partner started to have around assumptions and expectations, you mentioned uh, the word boundaries. Mm. <laughs> so let's talk about the book. So, yes. uh, yeah, so this is, so the book is called The Not-So-Friendly Friend. Yeah. <laughs> and before, uh, yeah, when, when we first heard about you and first heard about the book and I saw the title and um, the subtitle and I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I mean, I think every single parent has had this issue with their kids. Like, oh, oh you know, there's there's one kid at school who's a problem. And, you know, can I read the subtitle really quick for yeah. the listener? How to set boundaries for healthy friendships. Yeah, so it's a story that I think pretty much every parent uh, who have had kids, and especially kids, if you're in it right now, kids around toddler age and up. Um, so it's about a kid who who's who's nice, like the main character, well adjusted, nice kid, communication getting along skills, <laughs> like using words, getting along, yeah. but then comes across a not so friendly friend. Yeah. And can you tell us what happens next, Christina? Yes. So the main character, like you said, she's new to school, but she's easy to like. She does all the right things. And she meets this friend who she considers a friend who sometimes is nice to her and they play well and then sometimes is very not nice to her. And she does what most of us do, which is to try harder. Like, oh, it must have been me the reason Mm -hmm. why they weren't treating me right. So I'm going to just be that much more lovely. But she realized that didn't work either. And so in the story, you can see that she talks to her parents. You can see that she talks to her teacher. And she realizes that she needs to set a boundary. And it's a very simple one, but hopefully a practical learning for kiddos that they can say something similar to this when they're not being treated right. And it's that I'm going to remove myself and go play with the people who do treat me well. But you're still welcome to come join us if you're ready to be kind. I just will only tolerate that kind people are kind to me, basically, is the message. And so it leaves that door open for whoever maybe the unkind child is or the child who's acting unkindly to reflect and decide if they want to be a part of this re- friendship relationship or not. But it gives the power to the child who is being mistreated. Um, so it's it's a story that I actually wrote because our daughter went through something similar. And so I wanted her to have the tools and skills. Um, There's lots of books on friendship and there's lots of books on friendships with bullies. But our experience and her experience was that it was just another child who sometimes was nice and sometimes wasn't nice. It wasn't, this child wasn't aiming out there to be mean. Oh, that's exactly so common. That's that's what what we've experienced too. Yeah, so common. Also, with this book along the same lines. Like I love how you have the tools embedded in the book where we can use these really valuable words. Like our, you know, our child can, we can read this with our child and she's like, Oh great. I can actually say this. Like I can take this to school tomorrow and I can say this. I love the openness to change. Like my, my heart is going to be open. I'm going to be open to you. I'm open to change, but um, it's behavior oriented when it's not about you as a person or a human being, but when you behave this way, I have a boundary. Like I do not want to be with you when you behave this way, you know, which is wonderful. And in the book, I've thought, I just replace some of these pictures with pictures of moms, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know if you've had this experience, but when you when you end up in the situation with especially like, you know, five year old and up and you become friends with 
the moms in the class, right? You kind of start to like gather the kids to play and play dates and you um, start gathering these new friends that are outside of your workplace, maybe outside of the other in, in, like social environments that you're in. Um, it's almost like a new social, um, I don't know, like a, a new social evolution in a sense for a mom, right? You're mm-hmm. stepping into meeting new people. And I found this skill set like really important there. It's like, you know, I find myself in a new often needing boundaries also like it's a very it can be a very challenging world for moms the social world mom to mom social world <laughs> absolutely well and you know sometimes your kiddo and another kiddo become really close friends and you realize that you don't like the parents that much or like you wouldn't mesh with them or your maybe right. your parenting right. approaches are very different yeah yeah um, yeah so that's that's when it's good to speak up and it's good for your kiddos to see you modeling boundaries and I think what's been really cool about this book is I knew it was important for my daughter And I knew it was important enough to have it made. So, you know, I reached out to publishers to have it become a real book. But the feedback that I've gotten since then has shown me just how much more important than I even realized it was. And that's for the kids, but also, like you said, for the parents, for the adults reading the book as well. And so many people have been like, this speaks to my inner child or this touched home with me now with the the moms I'm dealing with. And I think a lot of us aren't that practiced in setting boundaries or maybe we're good in certain settings like at work or with our in-laws, but maybe not with our friends or with our partners. And it's just, it's a great, it's like your personal superpower to have agency over your life and to make Mm, sure that the life you live is the life you want. And so to teach it to children where they can grow up with this, it's just a pretty magical thing. And the way it's done in this book is really beautiful uh, because the child, like the main character, is letting the other child know that this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying that you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not putting this all on you. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying this isn't working for me. Right. <laughs> you know? And so when this starts to work for me, we can totally bring this back on l- line. But mm-hmm. I, I, I really appreciated that because um, I, yeah, I, I, like a part of me, wants to just be like, hey, this is your problem and I want to, you know, <laughs> tell tell you how to do things. But it's like, hey, you know what? This isn't working for me when it, <laughs> when we can play n- nice and we can have fun together and then we're back on line. You know, I, I, I really, I really appreciated that. And, Absolutely. And, and then I, I felt like, ooh, this is something that, as you said, adults can totally use, you know, that, that uh, in this relationship, whether it be a family member or a friend or whatever Mm -hmm. um the way i'm feeling right now is not working for me Mm -hmm. well that's where i feel like boundaries provide clarity and what a beautiful thing to be able to bring to a relationship it allows you to be authentic it allows if you're whoever you're in the relationship with has clear boundaries as well they're authentic your relationship is mutually enjoyable because Mm. you know what game you're playing you all are showing each other your cards and you're like these are the rules and you're like cool Mm. we're gonna go play the same game in life together whereas you know if we're making these assumptions like you guys were speaking about before in communication then it's like we're each playing our own game or we have our own rules and we're hoping other yeah. people know, but that's just not fair. Yes. Right. And that's so way to put it. where, uh, what comes up for me is that, uh, you know, there's a fear around displaying your rules or, or being explicit about your rules 
because there's a fear of rejection. Mm, like, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I, if, if, if I could just be like flexible with my rules, if I can just kind of keep some of my rules to myself, um, then I'll, I'll or avoid a fear being of, rejected. A fear of some response that's not uh, a right. comfortable response, yes. an uncomfortable response. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so what happens is we hold it in, right? And mm. we stew on it. And then ultimately, <laughs> we generally explode on it, which yeah. I would say is more uncomfortable than possibly the initial discomfort of letting what you need or want or value be known. And I think boundaries also give you, for every person that's able to uphold, to set and uphold their own boundaries, you have responsibility for yourself. Because I think when, when we don't tell someone because we're afraid of rejection or we're refra- afraid of a certain response, we're attempting to control their experience. Yes. And that's yeah. not our job. We're only here not to control our ourselves. Beautiful. Hmm. I love how you refer to this as a muscle to build. Like it reminds me of like the muscle of resilience, right? But um, I resonate so deeply with that because so much of my work, and I'm sure probably like <laughs> most of your clients, like I feel like this is this is a thing of our time, really. Like it's kind of cool to go out online and see what's going on. We're all doing a lot of work around boundaries, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Um, it's becoming, uh, it's becoming. I, I'm not. I don't want to say popular, but something we're we're probably noticing a lot more than than before the need for boundaries. So it's been totally my work, and I I haven't been able to change overnight. I haven't been able to get get better at this like in an instant. You know, it's like a practice, and I feel like there's some areas that are still really, really, really hard. But you know, I'm trying and inching my way there, and that really resonated with me when you refer to it. Uh, it you know, it's something that. That is is a practice, and that we can. I think that was in the back of the book um, when you describe what boundaries are. Um, and I really, really appreciated that. I found it to be validating and and encouraging. Good, yeah, and it is. It's the the more you do it, the better you get. But depending on the setting, the context, the relationship, some situations might be harder to set a boundary than others. I find that I have a harder time with strangers. Actually, with my family and friends, I lay it out straight. But with straight, I want to be seen as agreeable and accommodating and so I have this this version of myself in my mind of being very nice but the problem with being nice all the time is that's to be obliging for the sake of being liked in return whereas being kind is being benevolent so I'm trying to shift my own thinking to be like I can be my kind lovely self but still have opinions and still have needs or wants and that's okay I love that. That sounds to me like the work that I'm in, which is people pleasing recovery. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. I like thinking of benevolence like and kindness. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, wait, can you repeat that again? So it is it is kindness over niceness. Mm-hmm. Was, is uh, that so they, the shift? They're interrelated um, because you can do something like hold the door open for someone and that is a very kind act but you may also be doing it to be nice which is to get that thank you in return so there's being nice has a bit more of that I'm being obliging or amenable for the sake of being liked whereas Mm -hmm. being kind is I'm doing it because that's what I want to do Um, so being kind is is healthier ultimately if um, you're not looking for that response in return so that and that also then comes from that bolstering of your own self-love and self-worth where you don't need the affirmations or the thank yous or people to like you. You just know your value. And so the people pleaser in me, and it sounds like in you guys as well, wants to be told how great we are and how much people like us. And it's hard then to set those boundaries. Yes. It is. Yeah. I mean, it takes some digging, you know, it, t- it takes some digging and some source work for sure to be able to do that. Um 
Yeah, I have a, a friend of mine who's a therapist helped me with this. Um, I think for a long time, and it relates to this book to me, and for a long time, we were really like, no, compassion is not enough. We need empathy. And my friend's like, no, no, no. Compassion is empathy with boundaries. You know, let's like, let's that. source back to compassion. You know, um, I feel like because I worked in higher education before the work that we do now. And I think we, we were like moving to empathy from compassion, which was cast as cold, like, like, um, not, Ooh, not distant. cold, but like maybe disingenuous a little bit or like one sided. Um, so I love thinking of like, actually, there are many instances where I need to move it into compassion and out of empathy because empathy can play into the too much self identification. Yes. I guess not yeah, you become boundaries. porous and you absorb yeah. you're putting yourself in their situation so much and I understanding to the point of identification and that can be yes. incredibly taxing whereas with compassion there is a little bit of distance which is maybe why it had that that negative connotation but it's a healthier way to be to offer compassion to people versus to you know like as a mom when your child's hurt or sick it's so easy to to feel the weight of their problems as they're they are your own but if you can can develop more of a compassionate point of view you can be there for them and support them while recognizing that it's their problem to work through and to figure out and to to grow from oh absolutely yes this really resonates like thinking about my daughter and helping her try to sift through some of the things she's going through being new, at, brand new at her school and making friends and um, learning then she goes, she's one of those kids who goes all in. She, you know, she's like, let's do it all sleepovers. Like we're best friends, we're best friends, we're best friends. And right. then, and then there'll be something that'll come up that sort of is challenging for her. And then she wants to just kind of like avoid and go in another direction. And so it's like trying to help her like not give up herself, her sense mm -hmm. of, you know, who, who she is. Like, what's that balance between, um, you know, trying to, you know, kind of like work with people, but then maintaining, you know, your sense of, of who you are and what you want and like trying to create that for herself. Right. And mm -hmm. that's like really boundaries with some of, with some of her friends, but it's been challenging because you want to help her identify, like, how do you move out of like, especially with girls in sixth grade, that's a tough talking age. about each other and that, you know, like it's, there's not like you have good data to work with. You've got some <laughs> challenging data to work with lots of emotions, lots of big feelings, you know, and then trying to figure out um, how to um, set boundaries when like, this is such a great time in life to learn this. Like I wish I had this in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So I'm so grateful for your work because I think it resonates. Like I said, with all ages, it's going to be so helpful for her. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and, and middle school age is just so hard in general. And then now, our kiddos have social media and personal devices and things that we didn't have to deal with. Mm -hmm. You know, I, AIM existed. So I'd come home and maybe message with a couple people on the house computer in the living room in front of my parents. Yeah. But it's a very different <laughs> thing when your kiddos have their own phones where they have access to the internet and they can't get away from maybe those peers that they would normally leave behind at school when they come home. That's, oh, that's a really good point is that is that it all extends into your home life mm -hmm. um, at that so point you don't have the ability to be like yeah i'm getting on the bus i'll see you tomorrow mm -hmm. um you it, you can have that i that's something that we really need to explore more i'd love to be able to talk more about that at some point and help especially with our tweens and getting there with technology and we've, all of that we've got an article coming oh good yeah, wonderful <laughs> cell phones and teens yeah A decade ago, Audra and I received news no parent ever expects to hear. 
your four-year-old son has brain cancer. In that hospital room in Orange County, California, we had our fair share of tears and despair. But we also vowed that we would use this to help our family thrive no matter what. A decade later, after starting a nonprofit that has served thousands of childhood cancer families, we're on a mission to bring all of the amazing researchers, doctors, therapists, and other experts we've worked with to all families everywhere. That's why we created The Family Thrive, an online platform and community of top health and wellness experts and parents like us who are looking to thrive against the odds. Just fresh daily expert articles on topics that matter to parents like us, like how to cook a superfood meal in under 20 minutes, or the latest sleep science that can boost our kids' mental health, or simple things we can do to thrive as parents. We have top credentialed experts breaking it all down into bite-sized chunks of actionable wisdom. And you know when they say it takes a village to raise a family? Well, this is our village, and it's filled with quick bite expert wellness information and conversations that are designed specifically for busy parents. And when you're ready to dive deeper, we also have group-based workshops written and led by PhD researchers, psychologists, and clinical dietitians. This village is all on your phone, at your fingertips, whenever you need it. Join for free today at thefamilythrive.com. So do you have a few small steps, just first steps for parents who might be experiencing this that they can start with today? Of course, the first step would be to get the book. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when, uh, you know, today when the kid comes home, like, like, what are some, some small steps that, that parents could start right away? Well, so it goes back to communication and dialogue. And one of the really good ways that parents can help their kiddos to make sense of their own experience and then make choices and be intentional going forward is to have a reflective dialogue with them. Now that this depends on your child's openness to having these sorts of conversations. And if you're able to start these when they're younger, then it's easier to carry through as they get older. But if they bring a problem up to you, play detective with them. What led up to that? And then what did you think when they said that? What were your thoughts? How did it feel in your body? And then what choice did you make? What was the result of that choice? And really help them investigate their own scenarios that they've lived. What would have been maybe a better way to handle that that would have resulted in a more positive outcome? And help them problem solve in anticipation of more experiences like that. So that's basically you're, you're fostering their social emotional intelligence, helping them to recognize and identify their thoughts and feelings and then make sense of them and put words to them. Because sometimes we feel things and we're not sure exactly how to describe it. And as adults, we might have a better ability to let your child know, oh, it sounds like you were really envious of your friend or you were really frustrated at this situation, whatever it might be, and give them the terms so that then they can express that as well. So that communication is really important. Um, Modeling self-love for yourself and Mm. applauding it in your children is really important because again we need to feel like we matter in order for our wants needs and values to matter and to protect with a boundary so if we're going to set a boundary we need to feel like what we're protecting is important and that's ourselves and so as the parent we need to celebrate our own accomplishments our own efforts Um, same with your child really celebrate who they are so that they know that I think I matter and I think you matter and then again, going back to modeling boundaries ourselves. So let's say you're at a restaurant and you get you, your meals delivered and it's not right. We could just say, 
oh, I'm just going to eat it, whatever. I don't want to cause problems. Or we he's, could say he's nudging me. <laughs> or we could say when the you know the waiter drops it off and leaves, and you're like, oh my goodness, to your, to your child, this isn't what I ordered. I'm going to let the server know about the mistake so that I can get the meal that I asked for. And your child sees, wow, okay, my parent thinks they matter. They're not making a big deal out of it. They're just they're standing up for themselves. And so by modeling it, then our child sees the power of doing it for themselves too. Oh, it's such a great example too, because like the other side of it is, okay, so there's then there's a parent who's like, oh, I didn't get the right order, but that's okay, I'm fine. And then that's me. And then there's the one who is like, I didn't get the right order, so I'm going to passive aggressively mention it every time the server comes by. I used to work in the restaurant industry, which is why <laughs> I have yeah, to. So there's also it. the empathetic, like you feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the server. But, you know, one thing that, yeah, is a pet peeve for me is also the passive aggressive response, you know, of, Mm. Or the server is not going to get a tip because I got the wrong food. Well, but you didn't tell them. That's not very fair. Exactly. Exactly. So I love the idea of modeling. And I think this could be done beautifully with young kids, like really young kids, too. I mean, modeling when you're let's say your young child toddlers hitting you, (laughs) you know, and modeling boundaries around. I was just learning about this on uh, the curious parenting. I don't know if you follow them on Instagram, but she's really great. And uh, just these little steps that you can take to, you know, how model how to have the conversation of like, this hurts me. I don't want to be hurt you know, and I'm going to ask, I'm asking you to stop hitting me now, (laughs) you know, and like, like these sorts of things, like, I guess modeling just in our own relationships within the family, yeah, how we interact together just in the home can be really powerful. Absolutely. Well, and so, you know, I'm thinking of my kids are at the age and maybe this doesn't go away where they want your attention at all times. And so I'm trying to model that I'm actually protective of my time as well. And so if they're calling to me and I'm in the middle of something, I'll, I'll turn my attention towards them for a second to say, hey, I really want to hear what you have to say. And I, I know you deserve my full attention. I'm focused on this right now. So I'm going to take the next X amount of minutes to do this and then I will give you my time. And so that also shows that I I am important enough to do what I need to do. My work's important and my time is important, but also so are they. And they deserve to have all of me instead of that kind of half texting, half looking, half listening version that we do a lot of the time because we're also so busy powerful. multitasking. And you're modeling so clarity in yeah. communication. Uh, and I think of Brene Brown's clear as kind. Clear as kind. That's, there we that's go. It. That's Back it. to the kindness as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, this is really powerful. I feel like that that I've just taken something that from you that I'm going to use every day now when when interrupted, you know, be it um, when you come down with a thought. And you're frustrated that I can't immediately respond to you. Or <laughs> now, do beware. Your family will start to use boundaries on you, too. Yes, my, my, I heard my ways. daughter say that to my son. She'll be like, Sterling, I'm putting a boundary right now. And I love that. But when they're like, Mommy, I'm putting a boundary because you told me, you know, I'm like, oh, yes, but yes yeah. this is good. So we have that's oh, the other part. We model it, but then we side. encourage it as encourage well. Encourage it. So, right, so right. when Maisie sets boundaries around timing of washing the dishes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to need some time to process that. All right, so so this book is the first in a series called Capable Kiddos. So what's Mm. next in this series? So the idea of Capable Kiddos as a series is to help our kiddos and ourselves 
have the skills to handle whatever life throws our way. And so this first book is about friendship and boundaries. The second book is well underway. The illustrator is sending me really fun illustrations right now. It's called Fear Not, and it's how to work through and learn to tolerate and live with anxiety and fear. Mm. Um, So it's not so much, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so much about overcoming per se, because I think that's a bit unrealistic, but recognizing that anxiety will come and go, but these are the skills that we can use to help ourselves manage it. So that's book well, two. I, I think it's so powerful. Like if we can start talking about this when 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 we are young, 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 we really need that. Like, you know, we've learned over the years to manage uh going down rabbit holes, to manage fear oh, casting, gosh, to manage like these are like, you know, kind of feel like very adult things, but they're things that we can as parents, like as we're working through it, like I think there's a lot that we can do for our families. Like I think yeah. that, you know, we don't have to talk about our fears around paying for our daughter's horse lessons, horseback riding lessons, you know what I mean? And like (laughs) what we can or cannot afford. And then instilling that, you know, kind of fear of scarcity in them. Like I love the idea. I mean, the idea of this book, because it is, we're going to have these fears. It's like, what do we do with it? What what do we do with this? And how do we manage? No, it's wonderful because I don't think I realized that I had anxiety as Mm -hmm. a child i didn't really Mm -hmm. realize that anxiety was a part of my life until i was in my 20s and i was like oh wait uh actually this has been going on for quite a while (laughs) and then my my uh my best friend uh didn't realize until a couple of years ago uh going into therapy that he had been dealing with it his his whole life and so it's like how many people grow grow up and as kids have these fears and anxieties and um and it's and it's not just a like you know uh, what do they call it? A like momentary uh, contextual thing, but it's like the anxiety is kind of a low hum in the background. Right. Uh, so, so that's that's wonderful. So, w- when is this book uh, coming so out? Fear not should be out in the spring. So I'm really awesome. really excited for that. And the beginning of the story talks about how all kids, grown ups too, have different anxieties because I think a lot of the time in our own mental health struggles, we feel quite alone. And so yeah. I really want kids to know they're not alone in what they go through and they're not alone in having to work through it. Um, so I'm super excited for that book in the spring. And then the third book I haven't written yet, but my plan, and so I'd love your guys' input, is to have it be about our inner voice and the way that we talk to ourselves. Oh, I think yes. so many of us grow up yeah. critiquing ourselves and being most mm-hmm. unkind to ourselves. Mm. Oh, um, so I think it. a story about that where kids can develop a kind inner voice from a younger age, hopefully maybe will give them a happier, more positive experience of their life. Um, but but then I was thinking maybe I do mindset in general, like a growth mindset book, and that's a component Love of that it. Too. So, so Christina, are, are, <laughs> that too. are you familiar with internal family systems? I have heard of it. Therapy. I haven't studied it though. Oh my gosh! Because what comes up for me is, and what what is what has helped me is, you know, I, I'll be very very brief because I can go on. About it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, sit down. The I idea mean, yeah. is basically that you know we are not one mind, but we have a bunch of different parts in in, a, right. in us, and all these parts generally are there to protect us, and they're there to protect uh, childhood wounds, emotional wounds, and. So what I have realized working in this uh, therapeutic domain is that I definitely have at least one part, probably multiple parts that have a lot of anxiety around emotional protection. And so seeing my inner world, not as I am 
the one who's ang- who has anxiety, but I have a part. There's a part. And it's very close to the inner voice, but I, I mean, it's like it's practically the same thing. But uh, in the internal family systems world, it, it's not just one inner voice, right? We have uh, a whole family of them <laughs> that, that interact. <laughs> and what I love about that too is that nobody, it, you know, it makes it so that w- we ourselves and no one in the world around us is, is something or some way. You know, we may have a part that or, or parts of that uh, and then might a part that behave is not, or exhibit yeah. or pop out in this way. But yeah. Yeah. And then I also have parts that do not feel that way. And, and yeah, and, so it's, and it's then, cool. I mean, internal family systems gets even deeper than that. It's so cool. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the idea that, oh, it's not like I, Justin, you know, as a unified mind being have anxiety, getting away from that idea and that I have a part or maybe one or two parts that have anxiety as a way to protect me are always on the lookout Mm -hmm. for danger are going to ruminate on possible problems that it helps a lot too, because I never hear you say like my anxiety. Yeah. My anxiety is popping up. My anxiety is here. My anxiety, like you don't like, I don't know. You don't kind of like cast yourself in that way and you don't own that, you know, kind of like as a, and as now a diagnosis I, it, yeah, or something. I but, have a part that mm-hmm. is being triggered right now and I can. <laughs> not that I'm triggered, but <laughs> right, it's like, right. yeah, I'm, not I'm an anxious person, but I'm a person that has parts yeah. of me that have anxiety from time yeah, to time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And it gives you, it's, it's information then from your body or from your brain that Mm, you then can intentionally decide what to do with versus, Mm. you know, I like to think of anxiety like a fire alarm. Ours is in the kitchen. So ours goes off every time I burn toast is not a fire, right? Yeah. So like that's (laughs) that's, our anxiety system sometimes has that alarm that goes off when we're making smoky toast and it doesn't need to, or we can hear it and we can think, oh, I'm going to press the dismissal button because it's not really a fire. And if we don't learn to differentiate between that sort of information, then we think, oh, I'm I'm anxious and I need to act in a way that responds to the anxiety. Whereas if it's a part of me has anxiety right now because of XYZ situation, I can decide if this is something I need to respond to or not. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And Christina, so I have an awareness that now I've mentioned yeah. internal family systems. So now I am going to mention another thing and, and, it, and it might feel like, <laughs> Christina, I'm ta- like, can I just write this book? Uh, no, no. <laughs> um, uh, I, one thing that has really um, been a game changer for my anxiety too is learning about um, what happens physiologically with anxiety. Of, like you, you know, mentioned what's happening in your body. Right. Right. So, you know, there's a whole cascade of biochemicals that like ready the body for some sort of action. You know, it's, it's uh, like the heart rate increases and, you you know, I start to breathe faster. My face might get red. So, right. So, so there are physiological things going on. And then learning that I can feel into that and like, actually get physical like like stretch or deep breathing and like so the idea that oh i just need to calm down don't move calm calm was actually the the opposite of what i needed to do which might be to like stand up stretch breathe maybe do some jumping jacks you know and for kids it might be like it might be to cry you know and then we say don't cry but what if they need to (laughs) cry like what are your thoughts on that (laughs) 
Yes, yeah, well, yes. I, I know that comes out of my mouth sometimes, in all honesty, right? Because we're yeah, dealing with our own stuff, yeah, too. And sure. Yeah, so sometimes I'm guilty of saying stuff like that, too. Like, don't cry. It's like when I'm at, at my max and spent, I feel like I'm not capable of handling their own stuff, right. which isn't fair mm-hmm. to them. But we're all human, so we can kind of learn from our mistakes and apologize later when we handle stuff like that wrong. But, um, yeah, our kids have big feelings, and most of the time, the best thing you can do is just validate just validate yeah. and give love. Yeah. Yeah. And then later on, when they're out of that state, because when you're in that anxiety or that anger or fear, whatever you're in, you're in like a fight or flight situation. And right. um, I think it's Dr. Daniel Siegel talks about your upstairs brain and your downstairs mm, brain. Yeah. And so you're in your downstairs brain, which isn't where you're able to organize or plan or make logical choices or problem solve. And so when you help your kids in the moment, not actually that helpful. Like, give them love, validate them, and then right. once they're in a state where they're calm, reflect with them. And that's that I reflective love dialogue. that. And so, when your kids are in their downstairs brain, right, big feelings, all that, you're usually in your upstairs brain. Right. So, you're coming at it. Like, even, even no, for us. I like, then get triggered, and then I'm in my Then downstairs. you go downstairs. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> We're but, all down yeah. there. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, we all need the time to just validate, kind of like hold the space, love, and then process later. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, that's just that's a good thing to just plan for and be like, this is how this is how we do this. And I know as partners too, like you started saying, hey, wait to get clear. Are you wanting to just let it out, or are you wanting to problem solve? Right? right. Like, like can we do that? But to plan for that with the kids, like that helps me to just be able to sort of like plan in advance. Like, you know, our kids going to come home from school with some big feelings, and we're just going to validate and love, and then circle back later see if we're ready to process. That's awesome. That's great to plan in that way. And uh, we have a calming corner. And that's the idea of that as well, is that this is the place we go to. You know, it's these conversations ahead of time in prep, and then it's the reflection afterwards. You know, when we're upset, let's go head over to the calming corner where you've got different things you can play with, where we can just sit down and hug each other, whatever (gasps) feels right to you to kind of calm down. And then later we'll talk about it and help you out. Oh my gosh. Can we talk more about that on the family thrive? Like I would love for us to uh, maybe have a little segment on like how to create your calming corner and like what that is. I have not heard of that before, but I just got a picture in my head of just a really comforting, comfortable space to go and to be and to be together. So you're saying that you need a calming corner. (laughs) 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 I love Uh, that though. So Christina, what is new and interesting for you in your own mental and emotional health journey? I think every day I'm working to be the mom that I wanted to be or thought I would be. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's a goal that's unachievable ultimately. But as long as I'm good enough, I need to learn to accept that. Um, and really trying, and I feel like the pandemic did this for a lot of us, um, really trying to be present and just appreciate the time that we have with our friends, our family, my kiddos, um, be grateful. We try and do gratitude every night. Um, we, and we have the kids do it too. And it's been really fun to hear how their gratitude evolves. Uh, my son for a long time just said family. Like he couldn't come up with something new, but he knew he was grateful for us. So every, every dinner he said family, whereas my daughter would come up with something from the day. And now my son's starting to, to, he's three. So he's starting to make more sense of what we're doing and come up with something that he's actually grateful for. And so we try and be present and live in gratitude. Um, but also, I think recognizing that life has its ups and downs, 
and I have periods where I'm not the happiest or I'm a little depressed or my anxiety's kicked in. And same with my husband, same with our kiddos. You know, they have periods where I'm like, what is going on with them? Something big's happening inside of them right now. And I think just knowing that that's okay. Um, I had a client several years ago who was a teenager and she had a really hard time if she didn't feel, if she felt anything less than perfect. It was Mm -hmm. catastrophic to her. And um, it meant that then she self-harmed or felt suicidal because she felt like it's her life was supposed to look a certain way. So I think wow. acknowledging the ups and downs are life, and that's good. We don't have shades of the beautiful world around us without having blacks and grays and browns, right? So we right. have to have those downs in order to sometimes appreciate the highs and the goods. And it's just, it provides a variety of life. That's what makes it so special. Mm. Oh, that's really powerful to hear. Like to hear of uh, what I hear is like uh, a journey for you, like to seeking deep engagement in life with your family. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that's beautiful. And then to hear of this, of this uh, young woman, um, I had never, that had never occurred to me um, that that could be a way of living. Um, and breaks my heart to hear and it breaks my heart mm-hmm. to hear it's something that I think could potentially be preventable in support along the way, you know, like it's something that we can we can support by creating just a more like open, vulnerable, kind and and then also like a, a kind of like an attitude towards resilience mm-hmm. um in kind of like everything around us, but if you do grow up in one of those perfection driven environments, that's the fallout. Right. Or toxic positivity where, yes. you know, it's fine. I'm not affected, but you really are. And we should actually deal with it, you know? Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So uh, that's an, another thought behind my mindset or, po- you know, mindset book or the thought of your internal voice and how you are resilient or deal with things. Cause it is just so important. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for these. And I hope that we can talk again. I would really love every time a book comes out. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's have a conversation. It's fantastic. That. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So how can listeners find out more about you and your work? Uh, my, they can visit me on my website, which is christinafernable.com. And from there, I have links to my book currently and books, plural, in the future. Um, also, I have a form to reach out if you would like me to connect you with a therapist or if I'm available as well. I'm licensed in California, which means I can only see clients that are residing or physically in California at the time of sessions. Um, and then also, I have a blog through the website. So it's christinafernable.com slash blog. And that's kind of how even this whole motherhood, mental health, and writing journey all converged um, in my Real Life Mama blog that I started after having my daughter. Um, And then on social media, you can find me. I have two Instagram accounts, one for the books, which is Capable Kiddos Books, and then uh, my Therapeutic Motherhood blog Instagram account, which is This Is Real Life Mama. And um, so, yeah, I would love, I love when people reach out. I love getting new followers and connecting with them. And um, I'm here to help and support all of you. So I would love if you reach out. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for bringing yourself to the world. It's just, it's so powerful. I'm so, so grateful for your work. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful to have gotten to meet you guys today. I just think you're fabulous. And I love what you're doing. I was exploring your accounts more and going on your websites and watching your videos. And I just, I love what you guys are doing. 
Oh, thank uh, well, we you. would, yeah, we would love to connect further. Um, uh, yes, and we certainly will after the show. But before we go, we <laughs> He's have keeping us on track. <laughs> I'm the driver. Yeah, so so we have we have three questions that we ask every podcast guest at the end of the show. And so the first one is: if you could put a post-it note on every parent's fridge tomorrow morning, big post-it note, what would it say? It would say, "You're doing better than you think." Hmm. Mm. I love that. I, had to, I was getting some coffee, but it hit me like, <laughs> I need, I I need that post up in the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So the second one, is there a quote that you have seen lately that has affected the way you think or feel? Yes. And it's actually kind of related to that first one, but the quote that has affected probably for a couple of years now how I feel, it's you don't have to believe everything you think. Mm, oh, this is, yep. Love this I, quote. Yep, yep, yes, this it's is, this so one good. We have, we have yes. used, yep. It's so powerful and it, it puts you back in the driver's seat. Your thoughts, yep. again, they're information and then you can mm-hmm. choose what to do with them. I think we think our thoughts are truths because we're make, like, we come up with them, but we're often using confirmation bias and looking for things that affirm or confirm what we already believe, whether or not it's helpful or true. And so knowing that we don't have to believe everything we think, I think is valuable. And then going back to your first question, you're doing better than you think as a parent is your thoughts are, Oh, I messed that up. Oh, I'm screwing up my kids. Oh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. You're doing better than you think because your thoughts aren't always true. <laughs> Beautiful. Love it. I love it. I feel Beautiful. I want to yeah, put I, these I want to like like um do a graphic of these post-its and put them out. We so actually have an article that we're working on doing doing just just that we are. Yeah. All right. The editing team is, is <laughs> But I like your headset too, Audra. I'm I'm visual. I like like the visual, visual right? Yeah. Like I want to yeah. actually no, have it on Instagram like and then screenshot the it and then yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think that's a beautiful idea. Oh, I I had a uh, mindful meditation teacher once who said, uh, your thoughts are like sweat. It's like (laughs) the body just produces sweat. You don't need to worry about it. Like you don't need to get upset about it. It's just (laughs) like you're sweating. Like it's no big deal. It's like your your mind sweat. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That's a brand that. Mind sweat, but I I like that. It's just basically, (laughs) thoughts are just mind sweat. I love it. Oh my goodness. Uh, The final question, you know, as you know, um, there are many times parenting when you're just exhausted and overwhelmed you're like oh my god what's happening and so it's nice to always just take a break and to think about like what is so awesome about kids and so what do you love most about kids i love their the way their minds work the randomness seemingly with (laughs) which they come out with things or the way that they make sense of the world I just think they're magnificent. You know, and the the show from decades ago, Kids Say the Darndest Things, I just, they do. And it's unbelievable. We have a booklet that we keep and we write down what our kiddos say. Uh, my daughter's theory on how babies are made is pretty fantastic. And I just like, <laughs> I love, I love all, all of the way that they think and that you can see the wheels turning. I just think it's so fabulous. Oh, that's such a good idea to to try to capture that, that, that goodness, to try to capture those nuggets. Such a yes. great idea. Yeah, because you think you'll remember, right? You oh, that was so funny. I'll totally remember that. Yeah, no. right. No, you get to else. a point where you don't even remember like what year your kid was born. Like, you know, with our parents, <laughs> they're like, you were you were two in that picture. I'm like, I'm clearly like six months old. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, write it down. <laughs> oh, Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was wonderful. And we can't wait to have you back. 
Thank you for having me. So Absolutely. much fun to get to know you guys. Likewise. Thanks again. And I'm looking forward to talking to you the next time. Me too. Hey, thanks for listening to the Family Thrive Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell two friends, and head on over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts and give us a review. We're so grateful you've chosen to join us on this Family Thrive journey.